Uh, great to see you. My name is Ben Gray. I'm the minister of the church here, and uh, we're going to spend some time thinking about that passage together. Uh, it is wonderful to have you with us um, this morning uh, in a new, fairly relaxed and back to normal kind of way. Thankful there were six people who came yesterday and cleaned and moved things and set up the church back into our normal pattern, which was uh, very gracious of them. And it's great that all of you are here, but I particularly want to say it's so great to have Steve and Mary Westbrook with us. Um, they've, this is the first time in over 12 months that they've been with us physically and uh, it's just a, a great joy to see you face to face. Having diligently kind of connected with you every Sunday on YouTube for the past 12 months, it's great to have you sitting with us and we can see you face to face. Um, we're in Luke's Gospel, uh, what we've just had read. I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us to understand it properly, so let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much uh, for who you are and for all that you've done for us in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that as we think about this part of your word this morning, that you would help us to understand it to receive it and to build our lives upon it. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, we're, we're told there's only two certainties in life, death and taxes. Uh, it's hard to know who said that first. Some people say it was Daniel Defoe. And others say Benjamin Franklin. They both said it. Uh, it's been the title of many books, been the title of many bands, songs, TV episodes, I think because it kind of rings true in a world full of uncertainty, where we're unsure of what the weather's going to be or what's going to come in front of us around the next corner, there are two certainties, death and taxes, unless you know how to hide money in the Cayman Islands. Uh, but I think we need to add a third category when it comes to certainties in life and I want to suggest that Luke's Gospel and Jesus himself uh, want us to place a third certainty in that category of death and taxes and that is accountability and salvation in Jesus. Absolute, rock-solid certainty according to Jesus and those who wrote down these accounts of his life that we have in the, the Gospels. Absolute accountability before the God of the universe and the absolute certainty of salvation for those who would put their trust in Jesus, who is God's judge and God's saviour. Acts chapter 17, we read that God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed and he's given proof of this to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead. As we remember uh, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus this week in a particularly focused way, the resurrection reminds us on that Easter day that there is another certainty because Jesus is risen from the grave, we can have absolute confidence and rock-solid certainty 
God is going to judge the world with justice through the one that he's raised from the dead, Jesus, who is the Christ, his saviour, king. Time and time and time again, the Bible points us to that certainty and to that reality. The challenge, I think, is as we go about our days in this world with so much uncertainty around us, the fact that we can't see Jesus right in front of us, the fact that we have so much evidence of brokenness and sinfulness and rebellion and frustration and sickness and death all around us that keep saying to us, uncertainty, 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 it can be very easy for us to be swept away with that uncertainty, away from the rock-solid confidence and certainty that Jesus is risen from the grave and one day returning as sovereign judge and saviour, that he will judge everyone with absolute justice. And God has given us proof of that by raising Jesus from the dead. Uh, This is week 30 for us in Luke's Gospel. If we kind of rewind all the way back to chapter 1, we're reminded from Luke the doctor that he wrote all this down so that you would have certainty about who Jesus is and what he has done and what it means for the world and what it means for your future. We're in the midst of a certainty project as we read through Luke's biographical account of Jesus. And if you, in the midst of uncertainty in this world, want to find certainty about all the big things of life and death, about eternity, about the meaning of life and who you are, if you long for that kind of certainty, then certainty about Jesus is where you need to start. And Luke says, that's what this is here for. That's why we're reading it together so that we might have certainty and might have life as we put our faith in Jesus. Uh, Chapter 16, uh, sorry, 17, verse 11, we're reminded that we're still walking this long road to Jerusalem, uh, travelling with Jesus, and the certainty that he's giving his followers along this road as he heads towards his death and resurrection is the certainty about his kingdom, what it looks like, who belongs to it, what should we expect it to be, uh, to be seen like in this world. And these are the things that uh, I want us to see from Jesus this morning. There's three of them as we go through. Uh, what is it that Jesus brings and what should we expect? How should we respond? What is it that we see now and what should we expect? What is it that Jesus wants to find And what should we desire? I'll remind you of those as we go along. The first one is what Jesus brings and how we should respond. We see that uh, after that travel marker, we're on the road to Jerusalem, uh, along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And what is it that Jesus brings? Pick it up with me at verse 12. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Miraculous. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back 
praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. That little note from Luke that he was a Samaritan is a continual kind of reminder that we've had week on week, isn't it? That those people who belong to Jesus and his kingdom are the unexpected people. It's not necessarily the religiously obvious or the morally sensitive. It can be people on the outer, people who who seem to be different and far away. And Jesus says, no, they belong to me and my kingdom. And And this Samaritan is one of them. He's a double, doubly on the outer because he's a leper. He has no place being kind of religiously belonging or socially belonging. Uh, and Jesus says, no, because of who Jesus is, this one who's socially and religiously excluded gets to be brought in, gets to belong, uh, gets to know Jesus and, we're told, It's more than just the social and the religious belonging. Because of the way that this leper responds to Jesus, he didn't just receive healing, he received eternal life. Jesus says, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Literally, he says, your faith has saved you. And it's this one leper, all ten were healed. And nine of them said, thanks, now I can just go about my business. And one said, thanks, this means that I need to trust and worship God. The challenge of this little scene, I think, is a reminder that the big question of life for you and me is not what do we deserve from God, but what does Jesus deserve from us? That's the question of faith that responds to Jesus with worship and trust, is to say, what is it that Jesus deserves? The honour, the praise, the affection, the glory that is due to him because of who he is and what he's done. Rather than that question that we're so often asking of God and of everyone else, of what is in it for me. What does Jesus bring and how should we respond? Well, Jesus is clear elsewhere that he doesn't come to bring universal healing of every disease and sickness in this world. Along the road to Jerusalem, as more and more sick people hear of Jesus' healing power, that he's restoring the world, that he's giving people back their lives, they keep coming to him and Jesus keeps saying to them, I'm going there. So that what you're seeing in small and localised expressions of people's diseases and and, and sicknesses being healed can be made universally available as Jesus restores God's good creation and says this is what a perfected future in his kingdom might look like and so that anyone who has their faith in Jesus can look forward to a day when there will be no 
death, there will be no sickness, there will be no crying or pain, but there will be a new future with Jesus, the Good Shepherd, at the centre, who provides for our needs eternally by streams of living water. What does Jesus provide? He provides the promise of a perfected future. The promise of giving our lives back, not just for now, but forever. Of restoring the goodness and the beauty of God's creation, of human life. And the promise of that future has Jesus at the very centre. As the only one who can provide it. As the only one who can, can give it. And the response that he's looking for is like this Samaritan leper. Of all the models that you could have in the world, of all the people you can look up to, he's a great example to follow. A Samaritan leper who receives blessing from God and healing and restoration and turns around and says, thank you, Jesus to acknowledge that it's all for him, it's all from him, it's all because of him. And that's the posture of faith that turns around and doesn't just demand things of Jesus in order to prop up our own comfort, and our own enjoyment, our own satisfaction in this world. But it's the posture of faith that turns that back in praise to Jesus, to acknowledge Him as the the Lord and Saviour that He truly is. What Jesus brings and how we should respond. Second thing is what we see now and what we should expect. Pick it up with me at verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Uh, The longing for the kingdom of God is an obvious question to ask after seeing Jesus' power and his authority. It's a picture of being reminded from the Old Testament prophets that when God himself steps into history to set things right, when he sends a shepherd king, the Messiah that will start to see the, the, the reversal of all those effects of sin and death in the world. And so here's the picture. Jesus, are we seeing the kingdom of God come in the world? And the answer is yes, because we've got God's king in the world. But he also wants to remind those who are listening to him that it might not be seen in the most obvious ways that you expect. For Jesus here is in the first century, what they're expecting is a palace and a capital city. There's the kingdom of God. 
And it's a good reminder for Christians in the world to be reminded that God doesn't say go and set up a a capital city and a palace. He doesn't say set up a government and a capital Christian city in this world as if we can bring about the kingdom of God here and now. But he says of the Lord Jesus, the government will be on his shoulders and that his kingdom will have no end. We don't look for the kingdom of God in that physical sense in this world. But we see the kingdom of God take effect in this world as individual people, men and women and children all over the world trust and follow Jesus. You see the kingdom of God by people living for the king of the kingdom and longing for the day when we will see him face to face. It's an important question to ask because of the uncertainty that we face in this world. If Jesus the King has been crucified and raised from the dead, why is it that we still see evil and injustice? Why is it that our lives still feel like they're full of fracture and frustration instead of the joy and the peace that Jesus brings? And while that joy and peace takes root in people's lives, so much around us reminds us that the certainty of Jesus' kingdom, being with him face to face, seeing his universal rule and justice dealt, well, that day lies in the future. But Jesus' reminder is that we don't need to sit around trying to look at our calendars to work out the time and date. We don't need to look at kind of the map and work out the place that Jesus is going to come back. You're not going to miss it. Don't worry about that. You haven't missed it. Don't worry about that. It's unavoidable you will see it. You'll be caught up in it when Jesus returns as the universal judge and saviour, the son of man the ultimate human who is the head of God's new humanity. You will see him when he returns and so don't worry about that. The book of Hebrews reminds us that while we don't see everything in this world under Jesus' feet, we're reminded that that day is coming. And while we don't see everything under Jesus' feet, while we don't see everything as it should be in this world, we do see Jesus. Crucified and risen, ascended to the Father's hand. And God says, if I've already raised Jesus from the dead, you can be rock-solid certain that he will return as saviour and judge. So while the posture of faith in Jesus is trusting him as the saviour and king who gives life and restores God's world, the posture of faith is also waiting patiently and prayerfully while we wait for him to return. 
Jesus asked the question at the end of our passage today. When the Son of Man comes, that day is certain. God's given proof of it by raising Jesus from the dead. When that, the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The day when Jesus brings eternal justice, salvation and accountability, will he find people trusting in him? Me too, Sharon. I hope so too. And that's our prayer. And it's an important question to ask and it's an important prayer to pray because there is so much uncertainty around us that we don't want to get swept away with. And feeling like the fact that we continue to face suffering, that we can continue to face disappointment, that that means somehow we've missed out on the kingdom of God, that we've missed God's king, that we don't belong. Jesus says, no. Don't get swept away by those questions. Don't get swept away by so much uncertainty in this world. Keep looking at what you know for sure. Keep looking at the rock-solid certainties of life that you can find in the risen Jesus who is God's one and only Saviour, King. To deal with that question, Jesus tells them a parable about a persistent widow. Have a look with me at chapter 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. The Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's the key question for the person standing before Jesus the judge. Will he find faith in you? Will he find your faith in him? When Jesus returns, it will be the day when he holds everyone to account. And everyone will see, you won't miss it, everyone will see and experience his universal authority as king, as saviour, as judge. And on that day, the thing that Jesus longs for is to find people who are trusting in him why that day hasn't already arrived. We're told that God is holding back the end of history, he's holding back his judgment and justice to give people an opportunity to turn back to him, to put their faith in Jesus, that he might find their faith in him on that last day. And the challenge is that there are seasons and there are experiences in this life that will give you reason to give Jesus the flick, to question his faithfulness, 
question his timing, to question his goodness. But he wants you to know there are better reasons to keep going. There are better reasons to hold on. There are better reasons to keep praying. He told this parable so that they can always pray and not give up. Prayer is the posture of faith, isn't it? It's that picture of dependence on Jesus, knowing that the world is in his hands, including your life, that he is the one who loves and cares and is powerful enough to do things. And so depending upon him is the posture of faith given expression in prayer. So pray and don't give up, Jesus says. That's the meaning of this parable, which is a peculiar one again. He's a real piece of work, this judge, isn't he? If he was a judge today, he'd be referred to ICAC. His preferred lane that he likes to travel in is one of self-interest and least resistance. It's remarkable that he has the own, his own the self-awareness to give the, 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 the own self-assessment that he doesn't fear God and he doesn't care what people think. Basically, I don't really care about justice, even though I'm a judge. The judge makes me think about those stream of public servants from both sides of politics who misuse their power and misuse our money, who misuse their position. I think even those guys would think this judge was a jerk. As this widow comes before his court seeking justice. Uh, widows were often oppressed and taken advantage of in the first century. There's no social safety net, no capacity to earn money, no claim on property. Just in two chapters' time, Jesus will talk about the fact that some of these Pharisees who are listening to him are the kind of people who like to walk into a widow's home and say, this now belongs to me, get out. That's the kind of scenario that exists for this woman who comes to this judge seeking justice. It's the kind of scene that we have all over the world, isn't it? Awful pictures of evil and injustice and the cry ought to be, especially from God's people, where is the justice? But this judge won't listen. She has no influence, she has no position, and so he dismisses her. She's got no money to bribe him, she's got no one to advocate, she's got no power to effect change. How will she ever see justice? Jesus' answer? By bugging the judge to death. By relentlessly and loudly calling for justice. This woman with no voice, with no legs, with no capacity in this world, who stands up, who speaks, who claims what is right and good and true. 
and someone who doesn't think that they have a place of power or influence, who continues to stand up for justice, who relentlessly calls out in a loud voice for what is right and good and true. If only we could see more of that in our world. So picture the judge, every toilet break he takes, there she is, where's my justice? Eating his meat pie out to side the court at lunchtime, where is my justice? Knocking at his door while he watches law and order in his slippers, where is my justice? She will eventually wear me out, he says in verse 5. Actually, what the Greek says, that she will punch me in the face. She is giving him a metaphorical black eye. And so he says, I will give her justice, just to get rid of her. Why on earth does Jesus tell us this weird story? about a jerky judge, about a commendable widow who loudly and relentlessly calls for justice. Well, like I said, it's week 30 in Luke's Gospel, so I'm sure most of you could turn to the person next to you and say, it's because Jesus is teaching us from the lesser to the greater. If this jerky judge because of the relentless pursuit of goodness and truth and justice gives in, how much more does the God who is perfectly just and infinitely loving and totally sovereign over the world, how much more will he bring about justice in this world for those who continue to call to him as the God of justice and salvation? who relentlessly stand and call in a loud voice for what is true and what is good and what is just, and the only one who can affect that kind of change, not only in this world but in the life to come, is the sovereign Lord who promises, I hear you, I see you, I know what's going on in the world and I've sent Jesus to die and rise again and he will one day return and everything will be set right. You can take that to the bank with absolute certainty because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Easter reminds us that there is a lot of evil and injustice in this world, just as there is a lot of evil and injustice in our hearts. And the crucified Messiah was raised from the dead to give us absolute certainty that there is a day fixed in God's calendar when everything will be set right. how much more will the infinitely loving, infinitely sovereign, infinitely powerful and good Heavenly Father not hear our prayers? And his answer to us today in those prayers is, hold on, I'm coming. But the challenge for you and me that Jesus' cross and resurrection reminds us 
is that if we long for a day when God will bring evil and injustice to an end completely forever, how is it that he will not end you and me forever on that day? Well, that's why the question that Jesus asked is so important. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Because it's with faith in the Lord Jesus that we can be rock solid sure that when God finishes evil and injustice forever, he'll usher us into the joy of his eternal kingdom. Let's pray together. Our Father, there are so many things in this world and in our own lives that make us wonder whether following Jesus is worth it. Please help us to be reminded and encouraged and strengthened today that Jesus is returning because he is risen from the grave and that you will set all things right. Help us to keep praying, to keep praising you for who you are and what you've done and to keep trusting Jesus while we await that great day. Amen.